starting a timer for myself so I don't get get crazy. So, as I said, I will skim a lot of what I was going to talk about, but because we're preaching through the the Gospel of John, and you have a Bible and you can read it. So I will make some points. If some of these things stick out, I made some slides. Take note, because really this was going to be a lot anyway. It's like three distinct major subjects that happen in this gospel or in this chapter of the gospel, and they all could be preached on probably for a while. And so I was already going to have to kind of gloss over them. So we're just going to gloss over them even more. But this is chapter 12, and the title of the message is Hosanna, Blessed is He, uh, which is coming from the triumphal entry. And like I said, there's three major sections to this. We have the first section is that Mary anoints Jesus. That's the first section. The second section is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And then the third section is, uh, yeah, the third section is belief and salvation. And then the major theme of this whole chapter is that Jesus is the king and the kind of starting to understand that Jesus is going to die. The Messiah has come, that's Jesus, and that he's going to die. And that wasn't something that everybody was understanding, and you'll see that in this. And I want you to pay attention as we're going through this rather briefly that we're going to be looking at people interacting or having an interaction with Jesus and a lot of other people's responses to it. And the reason I want you to pay attention to that is because that's kind of the thing I think that starts linking these things together. It's like the overarching theme for this day. Um, because the, all of these things are distinct moments in Jesus' life and in Jesus' ministry and all this kind of thing. But you're starting to see a transition. This is the book, this is the chapter in the book where the transition shifts to Jesus' passion, where now we're going to be talking and focusing towards his death. And you see him finally say, remember when his mom asked him, turn the water into wine? He's like, you know, this, what does this have to do with me? It's not my time yet. And then the people are doing things. He's like, it's not my time yet. And now he says, it's time. And the shift happens. So it's a big deal. But we've got a couple things that lead up to this. And But you, throughout the entire thing, you're going to see people having an interaction with Jesus and other people reacting to it. Sometimes good, sometimes not so good. And so, I and and the main thing, which is, this is a little bit of a downer, I'll give you that, but what stuck out to me was this warning, okay? So it's a warning. You don't have to be this way, but in verse 42, you see this, and I'm just going to read it, so don't you don't have to put this up yet, but yet, at the same time, many, even among the, the leaders, believed in him, him being, they believed in him, like, man, they believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. We don't want to be that. That's the, okay? So that's the whole thing. We don't want to be that. Section one, Mary anoints Jesus. I'm going to read these and then make some, some comments. And we're going, to re- we're going to end up reading the whole thing. So six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. We talked about that last week. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth, more, it was worth a year's wages. Shout out to my family. He, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
as a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for me for the day of my burial. See, this is we're starting to shift into that direction. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So if you're thinking, this sounds familiar, didn't we just talk about this? The answer is yes. I used the Mark version of this story during our worship series a couple months ago. So we don't have to go super deep into this. There is an, there's some interesting things to mention about this because this story or something like this story is in all four Gospels. But remember how like last week I was like, this story is not in any of the other Gospels. But then this one is in all the other Gospels. But it's kind of funny because um, John, Mark, and Matthew kind of sound like they're talking about the same thing. And then Luke's kind of like, wait, what? Like, the, the details are a little different. So you go, what happened there? Did they get this all messed up? Most scholars think that probably what happened is in Jesus' ministry, he was anointed like this. And then another later, Mary Mary comes up and says, I'm going to do that same thing. Like, that, that devotion that this woman poured forth on him, I'm going to pour forth as well. So to conflate them all as to be one event, probably you have to say somebody's wrong if you're going to do that. But to say that they might be a, a significant event and then another event that was kind of imitating that event, like, yeah, I'm going to do the same thing. Like, that's an extreme show of devotion. That's probably what happened. And then in the Gospels, Luke's writing about that one and the other ones are writing about this one. And then, but it, the truth is that all leads to the fact that, like, if you were going to make up some stories, you know, you can copy and paste. You know, you don't get them wrong. You see what I'm saying? So the truth is that people were telling stories about Jesus. And you can understand how you could get, conf- you could be like, Wait, which one of these are we talking about? And you, you see how that goes together. I don't want to waste too much time on that. We don't have a lot of time today. But um, the point I want to say is that she's giving Jesus costly worship. She's thankful. Jesus just raised her brother from the dead, okay? She's thankful for Jesus. She gives purely worshiping him in front of other people. And it says that that smell of that worship fills the room. And it's this amazing thing. And you would think, man, everybody's going to really appreciate that. But like I said, let's pay attention to their reaction. They don't. <laughs> you know, you might be thinking, didn't more people get upset? That's the Luke version. Again, different story. But this one is Judas being c- critical. And that's what happens when we worship Jesus. The fragrance of that worship fills the room. And a lot of times people criticize. But they're criticizing, if you read into this, it's showing that it's, it says a lot more about them than it does about us. So you don't need to worry about it. Because Jesus ends up defending her in the end. He's like, this is important stuff. And one of the things you always, you might be like, I'm confused by this. Is Jesus not into us taking care of poor people? He is, because he's making a reference to Deuteronomy 15. And Deuteronomy says this, there will always be poor people in the land. So, like, is that literally what, you, that's what he's referencing there. He said, so, therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So, don't take this as Jesus saying, forget about the poor people. Focus on me. He's not saying that. He's just saying that there are prophetic things and significant things that happen in time. And this thing is happening once right now. And what Mary's doing is important. Okay. Which actually ties into a lot of the kind of thing that we were just doing. Like when you pray, that prayer happens now. It's actually happening. You see what I'm saying? (laughs) That was a little spacey what I just said, but you get what I mean. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews... This is verse 9 in, in uh, John 12. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was, the, was there and came. Remember, they were looking for him last week? Not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus. Because they're like, we're hearing that he's raising people from the dead now, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. 
for on account of him, many Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So Jesus is starting, people are starting to get convinced. So they're like, better just kill them all. You know, so this is the thing that I also want to bring out. As we're praying for miracles in our midst, guys, which we need to be doing, you know, God does them. God does something in your life. God changes something in your life. And then there's going to be people that come around and want to kill it. They're like, they're not going to go. They're not always going, oh, great. And we've seen this several times. We're like, who, who, who healed your eyes, blind guy? You know, like, I want to talk about that. You know what I mean? Because I don't like what you've done. What happened to you now is messing up my whole thing. I want, you know, we're going to kick you out. Or in this one, let's just kill him again because it's causing us trouble. So don't assume that because God's doing something in your life that everybody around you is going to be happy about it. They'll also attack. They also, uh, they'll often want to attack specifically that thing, like killing Lazarus again. Which is funny because if you're actually going to logically think through that, which I'm not saying they were, <laughs> Jesus raised him from the dead and you kill him again. I mean, you, know, you could raise him again. It's not like you're, you know, you would think that they're like, yeah, yeah, I don't know, you know, it's funny. Section two, triumphal entry. Now, this is, again, a major, major subject we're dealing with here. And it's this, like in a couple of weeks leading into Easter is the traditional time the church celebrates Palm Sunday, the week before Easter, where they, they, we, the church tradition is to, you know, bring, have palms and wave them and to kind of reenact this story. And we're all going to be pretty familiar with it, but let's read it anyway. Verse 12, the next day, the a great crowd had come for the festival, Passover, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. They're making declarations about Jesus here. Hosanna is a word that means save or God save. You know, these are like basically prayers to Jesus. Palm branches were like readily available, like they're readily available here in Florida. And the thing that uh, they'd been a national symbol in Judea since about the Maccabees period. So there's kind of symbolism in this fact that it's not just palm branches, but that this actually is kind of connected to who the people were. And this is the kind of thing they would do to celebrate military victories and greeting people. But Jesus' is different. Like, and you would, they would also go out. Like, it's a big festival, so a lot of people are coming to Jerusalem for this. And people would go out and greet important people. But I'll share, this is actually something I didn't know, that because of this kind of pandemonium and everything and the lack of, like, a PA or whatever, they'd be like, now Jesus is coming. You know what I mean? Like, if you were in the crowd in that section, they were into this. But there was also other people celebrating other people coming, kind of at the same. So it wasn't like every single person knew. I mean, it's a smaller town. Like, the world was different then, so word gets around, you see what I'm saying? But there was people being celebrated that were coming. All of, it's, like a, it's like a big crowd, you see what I'm saying? And so the reason I bring that up is because even incredibly significant things like this, it, it's, it's, people don't, you, it's, it's, not that everybody gets it. They don't all see it. You see what I mean? The ones that were there and were part of it see it and were part of it. But if you weren't there, you didn't see it and you weren't part of it. You see what I mean? And the interesting thing here is that this is the same crowd or part of the same crowd that in a few days turns on Jesus. You know, so now they're singing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he knows that in just a few days they're going to turn on him. You know what I mean? And that should speak a lot to us about, again, the crowds and the people we try to impress on social media and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> because 
they turn on you. You know what I mean? And Jesus, the, the big thing is that Jesus isn't doing this stuff um, because he feels cool by it. You know, or, you know, he's not like, I'm really glad they're finally, you know, doing the kinds of things that I need. He's he's doing these things as he remember with the whole book of John about coming and see who Jesus is, catch being who he really is. Jesus is fulfilling. The, and if you look in your Bible, there's a lot of notes and stuff where he's fulfilling prophecies. There's prophecies. And like it literally says Zechariah 9, 9, where he talks about. Don't, it, like this one's in quotes in verse 15. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it was written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. That's in quotation marks because that's Zechariah he's quoting here. And, th- at the, at, and so here's the thing. He's doing all of this stuff, making very public declaration that he's the Messiah, the king. And even the stuff they're singing, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. This is all from Psalms 113 through 118, which are the psalms they would be praying and singing at the Passover. So there's so much in all of this that we might not culturally pick up on. But they didn't understand it all. Now, how do I know that? Verse 16. At first, the disciples did not understand all of this. So it's okay to not understand all of it because only after Jesus was glorified, that's kind of a spoiler alert, did they realize that these things, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So everybody else is, Jesus knows what he's doing, but everybody else is catching on, okay? And that still remains true today, all right? Now the crowd that was with him when he, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word because that's a big deal. Many people, because they heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look, Look how the whole world has gone after him. And so the thing that I, I, uh, when we talk about people encountering Jesus and their reaction to him, this is something we have to, look, the whole world has gone after him. These guys have already been trying to stop Jesus. They've already been trying to kill him. They already said, the the verse, like right before this, they were trying to kill him and Lazarus. Let's go kill them both then, you know. And they can't. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. What is this? All that stuff that we've been doing. Look how the whole world has gone after him. People can't stop Jesus, okay? Jesus is the king, but Jesus is going to die. This is the, 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 the uh, complexity of what we see in the cross. Jesus is the king, but Jesus is going to die. But it's not because they're winning. It can only look like they're winning. They just think they're winning. You know what I mean? And so we need to remember that. And I'm gonna get, for the very last point that I'm going to make, the world can't, ulti- people can't ultimately stop Jesus. <laughs> and then <laughs> it starts to get interesting because um, section three is what I'm going to call belief in salvation. And this is the whole rest of this book is just about people's, like they're starting to get it. And this is very interesting what happens. Now there were some Greeks, some non-Jewish people among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And they're saying that because he might, he speaks, like he's, he's the most open to like, hey, you're, you know, can, you're like us, can we get in and talk to this guy? With the request, they said, sir, we would like to see Jesus. So Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied this, listen, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
This is a huge, like you could just read over that and be like, okay, you know, huge significance. So what we're seeing here is non-Jews now are coming to believe in Jesus. And this tells Jesus, he's like, this is the time now. You're going to have to think on that one. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this, this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So, so what's going on here? Even non-Jewish people now are coming to Jesus, because the Messiah... The king of Israel is the king of the world. And the word has now gotten out besides just the inner circle of the Jewish people is now getting out to the world. That sign tells Jesus it's time now, which is a huge shift. This is time now. And immediately, time for the son to be glorified. And he immediately talks about dying. This is the whole thing. Because that doesn't make sense to us. We're like glorified, good. That means like you win and everything. And, and there is an ultimate winning but the process of us dying with him and all this kind of thing is what he's setting up. And it's hard even for him. And how do I know that? Verse 27, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? That's Jesus saying his soul is troubled. You need to go reflect on that. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it's the very reason I came. Father, glorify your name. He's saying... Save me from this cross? He's like, no, this is what I came to do. And then listen to this, all right, guys? In response to Jesus saying that, and just read this literally, okay? Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. That's, that's intense, right? Like you're in the crowd, and Jesus says, man, am I, should I say, what am I going to say? Father, save me from that, this hour? This is, this is what I'm here to do. I have glorified it. It's like, you know, so what's the reaction? The crowd that was there heard it and said it thundered. And others said an angel spoke to him. Both wrong. <laughs> well, man, I guess it could be an angel, but I mean, I think there's an implication of God. But Jesus said the voice was for your benefit, not mine. Remember when he prayed for Lazarus and he said for their benefit, not for mine? It's the same thing. He's like, I, I got what's going on, but I'm doing this for your sake. The voice was for your benefit, not for mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. So, 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 so just first off, a lot of us think when it comes to things like miracles and like God doing things, like if I would just or if God would just, you know, this or whatever, that would change everything for me. And I, I'm going to say that um, based on this and, and even further down that, it's probably not true because you see that in this crowd, we're in that crowd. We are in the crowd of people where God is doing things. And oftentimes we like to like, are you sure that wasn't just thunder? Can you do it again? I'm not sure. You know, and they're like, well, let's not go to God there. Let's go to angel. Like angels at least, you know, that's safer maybe, you know. And, and there is an uncomfortability about it. But that's just the way it is. You see what I'm saying? All of this is getting to the final point. That's a, it's a challenge. You see in this, uh, he says uh, that the voice is for your benefit. Um, where is this? Sorry, I got lost. In, yeah. It's time for the judgment of the world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And he's speaking there about it was very common understanding 
in the worldview of the time that Satan and demonic forces had great control over the world. And Jesus is like, you remember that whole crushing the serpent said? Like, this, I'm about to do all of that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm doing this now. And they would understand what he meant by that. Craig Keener says this, John would agree that God is ultimately sovereign over all. But here he speaks of Satan's dominion in human affairs and the present defeat of demonic spiritual forces. So people would have understood that, that he's talking about, like, I'm crushing what the enemy is doing around here. And it's not just, uh, and we want to pray for that even to this day. We were just talking about the situation in Ukraine and all that kind of thing. The prince of this world will be driven out. Will be, not might be, not could be. Will be driven out. And I am lift, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So he's telling them, I'm going to die on a cross. But lifted up carries with it language that's both exaltation like, we lift you up, Jesus. Be lifted up. You know, we're lifting him higher. You know, your name is lifted above every other name. But he's also saying, but I'm being lifted up on a cross. Remember, Jesus is king. Jesus is going to die. So the crowd again, we, they spoke up. But we have heard of the law, from the law, that the Messiah will reign forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Is that, like, is that symbolic? Like, who is the Son of Man? Jesus told them, you're going to have the light. Remember himself, John 1, remember all that? You're going to have the light a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left left and hid himself from them. And then immediately in verse 37, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. So this is what I was talking about. Like, if God would just, whatever that is for you, it may not do what you think it would do. It might. I mean, I'm not going to say he's not going to do it. I'm just saying there's something wrong with the logic that won't be solved by getting that, you know. And I'm going to get to that at the very end. The if God would just. And I'm not going to act like, you know, you guys are there, you know, that y'all think like that. I've never, you know, I don't do that. Ever. I do that all the time. I'm trying to say this is wrong. We shouldn't think this way. And this is giving us kind of a way out. But it's remembering that Jesus is king and Jesus is going to die. And, be, and so we are like these people. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. And again, here it is. This was to, fu- to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has, belie- who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because Isaiah says elsewhere, he blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they could neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Just in case we're going to like, are we sure that's about? Yes, we're sure. <laughs> Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. Remember I read this earlier? Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. And so the last point I want to make about that Jesus is king, what is this going to look like for us? And I'm going to read this chunk, and then I'm going to make all of these things hopefully will come together and you'll go, okay, I see what he meant. <laughs> Verse 
verse 44, then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only. Remember, we've heard this time and time again in John, but in the one who sent me, the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. Remember, come and see. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For that, for I did not come to the world to judge. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So the important idea from this is that Jesus is king. He's t- and what, I'll just make a little, give you a quick note. And you're like, what is he talking about not being the judge? Or what he's making, he's almost doing some wordplay there where he's saying, he's talking about the word and judging. He, and remember what he said before and earlier in John where he's like, you know, <laughs> those who believe in me will have eternal life. And those that don't are already dead. You know, so he's like, don't, don't look at me as like having to kill them all. They're already dead. You see, I'm the one giving the life. And what he's saying in this, he's like, you're already judged. And he's making reference to the, to the law of Moses here. He's like, he's like, you're already judged. I'm giving you healing. I'm giving you life. You see what I'm saying? I'm giving you a, f- a, a, <laughs> a, a free freedom from that. You see what I'm saying? I'm not com- the words aren't coming. But the important word here is Jesus is king. King. And king is a very hard word for our culture because we don't have a king. We have a president. <laughs> and we vote for that guy. <laughs> and that's not how kings work. <laughs> you see what I mean? You know, the, the whole, like, Monty Python, oh, I didn't vote for you. You know, like, there's this whole idea is, is in our minds because we can't shed that. You know, we think, like, I have a right to vote. You don't in a kingdom, you know. And remember, Jesus is king. Jesus is going to die. And he said, my servants go where I'm going to die. We're like, what does that mean? I don't understand. So this is what I want to talk about. The other things, so <laughs> understanding Jesus is king is more than I can do in four minutes. But, Kayla, come on up here. But what that could basically mean for us is that king is ultimate, okay? Ultimate and everything else is subordinate to that, meaning controlled by, influenced by that. And so the king is first, everything else is secondary. And that could include everything, like everything, even including our physical lives, but also like our families, I mean, our stuff, you know, and we're used to thinking in those terms, you know, but for us, I mean, one of the, this, in this, mm, I'm going to say this, it's going to bother a lot of us, and you might, if you're bothered by this, I'm saying this as a pastor to try to help, okay, and you probably, if this bothers you, you probably need to be bothered by that, and if you need to take this up with God, okay, if you want to talk to me about it, I'll talk to you about it, I'll probably talk for a long time about this, but I don't, what jumps in front of God or jumps on top of Jesus as king is our idols, you know? And it's easy to identify idols, especially if you've been around the church for a bit. When there's things like, you know, um, greed, you know, or the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, these kinds of things that we think of, you know, because they're so opposite. You're like, well, obviously, yeah, Jesus doesn't want me to be greedy, you know what I mean? Or, you know, or 
this sense of these things that we use to guide our lives become our king. But the ones that are oppositional to God are easy to recognize. That doesn't mean they're always easy to let go of. That's not the one that sticks out to me today. Jesus is king means that he's king over everything, including like my sense of right and wrong. Have you ever thought about that? Well, that seems wrong to me. Well, if it doesn't seem wrong to Jesus, it's not wrong. And you got to, like, deal with that. And that's way harder than, well, I don't know. It's different than, and that's the thing. This this is what I think God wants us to focus on today. He's saying, I'm coming into this city of Jerusalem as king, and I'm going to die. And most people, you even read it, don't understand the king, the Messiah, is going to die. And I'm trying to help you understand that. What your expectation is and what I'm doing aren't always the same thing. Your sense of right and wrong and my sense of right and wrong aren't always the same thing. That doesn't mean they're always against each other. And in fact, that's where the danger is. And this is the thing that might rub us the wrong way because Jesus being king doesn't mean that he's always in conflict with our families or with our sense of who we are or with our sense of right and wrong or our politics but he isn't the same thing we need to check our allegiances because many of us can't tell the difference between our sense of right and wrong and Jesus as king or our politics and Jesus as king and I said I already said that doesn't mean they're always in conflict but they're not the same thing. And if you can't tell the difference, you might need to deal with this. That's my sign. If you can't tell the difference between your politics, and I mean politics, and Jesus is king, or if you can't see a difference, you have some work to do, okay? Because the politics of the kingdom of God don't dovetail easily into Democrat or Republican. I already said they're not always in conflict, but they're not the same thing. And confusing that leads you down a trail where you're just like these other people. I believe, but my ultimate allegiance is over here, even if I don't know it. This is why this is so dangerous, because you can't. Let me just read this quote from Leslie Newbegin here. He wrote this in the early 80s. The confusion of a particular and fallible set of political and moral judgments, the confusion of that, with the cause of Jesus Christ is more dangerous, more dangerous than the open rejection of the claim of Christ in Islam. Meaning he was talking in this part of they're against, they're like, we see who Jesus says he is, we are against that. Remember I was just talking about like, we know who Jesus is. We're the princes of this world, and we are against that. He's, this, he's saying he thinks that when you conflate your politics or something with Jesus' kingdom, that's more dangerous because they at least know what they're talking about, and they're against it. You can't tell anymore, and it messes up your head. And he says this because it uses the name of Jesus to cover the absolute claims 
of one national tradition. And then we begin to feel threatened, and then we react, and then we think we're being righteous, but truly we have lost sight of who the king is, and now we're bowing to other things. You don't need me to bring examples of how often this is happening in the church today. I think that the, us being kingdom people in this day and age is going to be not bowing to this game that people are playing increasingly, you know, taking stands. And, and it's not to say, <laughs> I'm not saying that bowing a knee to Jesus as king is us being anti-political. It isn't. It's making him ultimate, and then everything flows out of that. And it's not going to dovetail perfectly into political parties because they have agendas that run against what Jesus wants. And if you can't see that, you can come talk to me. We can talk for a long time. But Jesus knows what he's doing. Okay, guys? Everyone else is catching on. Isaiah 25 says this, Lord, you are my God. And I will exalt you and praise your name for in perfect faithfulness you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. And our comfort comes from knowing the one who's doing these plans, not from us totally understanding it all ourselves. Our comfort comes from knowing the king and his sense of right and wrong, not always getting in ourselves. Remember, the disciples didn't quite get always what was going on. We're disciples too, guys. It's okay. But written long ago, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, this is a Christmas verse or set of verses. But that feeling of threat that we feel, because we can feel threatened. And you guys are like, what is this? Why am I feeling threatened? If this, If Jesus is king, he truly is king, and he's destroying, remember, the princes of this world, it's over. I've done it. Why do I need to feel threatened? You don't. No matter what comes, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. We are part of forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So I know we've had an incredibly long service today. I believe God is doing some things, but I want to invite you to respond to this in this way. This is something we don't do in our culture. But I'm going to, when I pray and like open this time, and Kayla's going to lead us in a song at the end, I'm going to come in before this and symbolically, like we symbolically raised our hands earlier, I'm going to symbolically kneel here before Jesus because that's the kind of thing you do before a king. You kneel, you bow. And I want to invite you to come and do that too, as well with me. And while doing that, to contemplate what you have been bowing to. What has been controlling you? What has been controlling your life? And I don't know what that is for everybody. It's not even really particularly any of my business. But it is your business and it is God's business. It's the king's business. When we make something else our king, it's his business. Especially if you claim that he's who he says he is. So, Father, I pray that we would be people who exalt you as you and you alone as king. Jesus, you are king in this place. You are king in our hearts. 
And I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this place. And ask that you would meet us here as we gather in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Faith is right.